Hey, good morning, Gwen. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm Pat Mulroy, the supervisor of the World of Learning Institute. And the World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or a district to find a teacher. We're here today to talk about the things that we do every day that make virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. And you can contact me at pmulroy at theworldoflearninginstitute.com if you need more information or you need help because you can't find a teacher. Um, today, I have Gwen Gaviola with me. Um, she teaches Spanish at Ferndale School District and at the World of Learning Institute um, in her after-school hours. And she's going to talk about what she does every day, which is create and support authentic learning experiences. And when she emailed me the other day after listening to one of our teachers, she told me that something she really likes to do is have the students navigate authentic websites like department stores, restaurants, pharmacies, and travel sites. And um, her passion for this um, is something that I thought could really help um, her other colleagues and those of you out there listening. Um, so Gwen, why don't you start by just telling folks a little bit about yourself, what you teach, where you teach, what you've been doing, things sure. from home that you do on the weekend, anything you want to share. Okay. Um, well, firstly, I do teach here at the World of Learning Institute, and I've taught here for three years. Um, I also teach in a brick and mortar school, as Pat mentioned, as you mentioned, Ferndale area, it's in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I teach levels one through four there. I've been teaching there for 10 years. and um, here for WOL, I teach levels one through three. Awesome. Um, so Gwen, what inspired you um, to teach Spanish? Well, I began to study Spanish in about seventh grade and I just really enjoyed it right away. I, it came kind of easily to me and I kept signing up for it year after year, just thinking it was just an automatic continuation of my progress. And it wasn't a stressful class for me. I did well. So it was just something that I thought, you know, I could get credits and enjoy it at the same time. My senior year in high school, my Spanish teacher said to me, Lupe, you should be a Spanish teacher. My Spanish name was Guadalupe. And, you know, being uh, in you know, 18 or 17 year old, I was like, absolutely not. That is not what I'm going to be doing. I didn't feel confident, even though I was, I was, I got great grades. I wasn't confident, you know, like a lot of yeah. teenagers. Did you grow up in a, did you grow up in a place, Gwen, where um, there were a lot of Spanish speakers or? Um... No, not at all. Absolutely okay. not. And still no. there aren't too many, but no. So I didn't have much experience when I was younger. Um, my first language was Tagalog but I didn't continue learning that. So I moved back to the States and just, um, you know, began to speak English. So tell had, me a little bit more about Tagalog. I don't know that. I, I don't know. I mean, it's the Filipino language. I don't okay. know much about it because when I was learning it, like I said, I was really young and I moved okay. back here still very young. So I started learning that along with English, but when I moved back to the States, I, you know, was then just surrounded by English language and you know U.S. culture okay. so maybe I have some sort of you know ability or makes it easy to acquire another language maybe that helped me a little bit my brain was being wired a different way when I was younger yeah. but um yeah so it just came pretty easily to me and then 
And you tried to say no Spanish. I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not going in a classroom with a bunch of kids. <laughs> not at all. I enjoyed high school, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to be doing that when I'm you know, older. So I had some other ideas in mind. So I went to college. I attended Pitt and studied anthropology. Um, and I added on, of course, that minor in Latin American studies because I just kept taking Spanish just because I really liked it. Uh, I studied abroad when I was a junior, became more fluent, and I lived in Argentina for about five months. And then, you know, of course, when you're immersed in the culture and the language, you you acquire it so much more quickly. So after that, I became more confident, fluent, and then I really, really enjoyed Spanish grammar and pronunciation rules, and so which is strange, but yeah, I just felt like that's you know I felt really comfortable doing it, learning it, and. I liked to learn more about it. Argentina is such an interesting country too. Um, so much going on down there. So did you graduate with anthropology then? Anthropology, cultural anthropology with a minor in Latin American studies, which was their equivalent to a Spanish minor at the time. So when you do cultural anthropology, you're really digging into uh, the history and traditions. Is that mm-hmm. kind of? Yeah, history. Um, how it connects to today's cultures, you know, what, what modern or what cultures are doing today, um, cultures that aren't even considered modern. Um, So we focused on a lot of the cultures in South America um, and East Asia, like the Pacific islands. So we studied those regions. And then of course I focused on South America with my minor. And so anytime I take students abroad nowadays, I'm really drawn towards taking them to Latin America. You know, I've taken them to Spain and it's, you know, Europe is an amazing place to go, but I really like the students to see, um, you know, what's going on in Latin America, because a lot of times I feel like maybe they don't focus on that region too much in their history classes, a lot of European history Mm -hmm. and Western history. And so I like them to you know, become familiar with and just know other regions in the world. Yeah, to understand that lots of the systems we have today have come from some of those ancient cultures, you know, I know mm-hmm. waterways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just, and I like to show them that things are also extremely different, you know, and, but normal, you know, it, different for right. other people, normal for them too. So yeah, like their living units, their family units and things like that. So it's, yeah. you know, the kids, the kids like to learn about that because you know, when you're a teenager, all you know is your own family, your own community, for the most part, you know, right. I mean, you don't get to travel too much. It's like, you know, why would they even consider other people's family units or how, you know, other right. societies are set up? So Right. Or how they eat. I mean, I think for me, exactly. like thinking about language and culture, you know, I'm thinking about culture and anthropology. And I was listening to a podcast the other day about food and it was talking mm-hmm. about how you know, tomato-based foods are really big in almost every country. And then, you know, just, and so it's really interesting because we, you know, even in the last 200 years, food, you know, the food history and food culture goes back thousands of years. Right. Um, gener- you know, so those kinds of things, which now that I'm older, I'm super geeky about mm-hmm. understanding where my food comes from and, mm-hmm. you know, how that happens. So, um, you know, traveling is something I also like to do. So I know that you travel, which is one of the things that I loved when you first came to the world of learning, you, you like talked about and shared pictures. Um, you know, some of them were trips you've taken with your students, but also, um, I think I remember that first summer when we were doing training, 
um, you were on a trip or you were going, maybe it was it Patagonia or, but where's well, your we were, favorite place to travel? Well, we were probably going to Machu Picchu that summer. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, and yes, the, that was a student tour and I took maybe about 15 people total. There were a couple of parents in there as well. Um, oh, and actually our guidance counselor went on that trip. Her daughter went on that trip and the superintendent came along on that trip and her daughter. So that was a great trip. Um, that was in Peru. So we, um, and actually that was a really good trip for the students because it was a service learning project. So they were able to interact, meet with not just, you know, the people that live in Lima, the capital city, but they were able to meet and help people in the Andes. So we helped in a community in the Andes who half of them spoke Spanish. Half of them did not speak Spanish. They spoke Quechua, which is the indigenous language that the Incans spoke. So um, it was interesting because we had teenagers helping them to build and to set um, concrete and set like um, posts in the concrete to start making a building for them, like up in the mountains. So we had teenagers helping and the Andean community, they had teenagers helping. So it was really great for our kids to see people of their own age who didn't yeah. speak their language, not, not only they didn't speak Spanish or English, they didn't speak Spanish either, you know, so they had yeah. to work together and, you know, the students loved it. They communicated however they could. And mm-hmm. the language barrier was not a full barrier. Um, you know, I do think though, like a lot of times people, a couple of them did get frustrated because they wanted, you know, it was like such a bummer for them that they couldn't say more to them. Yeah. But at the same time, they were able to, you know, communicate in other ways, work together, smile, body language. You know what I mean? So it was like, right. I mean, and then, yeah, there's the body language, I think is really important. And even if you get to learn one or two of their words and they learn a couple of, you know, the words and phrases, like a lot of the stuff we do in beginning language classes, like, Mm -hmm. you know, teach survival phrases, you know, what do you need to get along? How do you, you know, master that? Um, Mm -hmm. gosh, that sounds like such a great trip. Your kids are so lucky. Um, do you have a favorite travel story, um, yourself? Um, you know, one Um, of the things that was super influential for you. Yeah. When I, I mean, like I said, when I spent a lot of time in Argentina, I, I lived with a family, so I got to see firsthand how this particular family lives. Um, and I, you know, I saw firsthand the similarities between our cultures and theirs. For example, the woman was, in a way, she was a single mother. She was a professor at a local university. Her daughter lived there part-time, went to her dad's part-time. Um, you know, so that kind of felt like an American thing, a U.S. thing. And then, but at the same time, she also had like ama de casa, like um, a housekeeper who came in on a bus from outside of the city and stayed with them every couple nights. Then she'd go home And she lived up in the third floor, like right off the balcony entrance. Um, And this just kind of taught me like, there are similarities, there are huge differences. And the way that they treated her, she was like family, but at the same time, you could still see that distinction between, you know, you're working here. So that was interesting to see every day. Um, And they, you know, it was just, it, this trip, that trip taught me that People are all over the world and you can have a serious connection with anyone in the world. And, you know, it just really opens your eyes, makes you realize that there's um, lots of connection, human connection to be had. And you can really develop meaningful relationships with people that speak 
you know, you speak half their language. So that was, you know, and I, that was, I was young when I traveled there. So it was, it was a really big learning experience for me. I just kind of got on the plane and went to Buenos Aires, which is, you know, a really large city in South America. They call it the Paris of South America is it actually has, it has a more European feel than the rest of Latin America. Um, I was just kind of thrown into this big city living in a totally different country where I didn't speak the language very well. So, you know, like I said, I got good grades in high school, but to actually be thrown into an immersive experience and have to survive on your own. um, My host mother was good at forcing me to just go out there and do things. So I was kind of terrified the first couple of days or even first couple of weeks. And I, I remember asking her one day, um, you know, I need to buy this, this, and this, is there a pharmacy around? And, you know, I thought, you know, a little naive me, I thought she was going to walk me there and show me everything. And she was basically like, oh yeah, go out the door. You know, there's a bus stop here and here's a little booklet where you can find the, how to get there. And giving me, you know, and she did not speak English. So she's telling me all this in Spanish. And I was like, okay, so I guess I'm going to go do this. And it's kind of like what I'm going to talk about today. It's like, you just have to jump right in and search for search for the answers that you need, figure out what it is that you're looking for, where it is, and just use clues, context clues, you know, cognates. So um, I just liked that experience because it just taught me that I could literally be dropped in the middle of the country somewhere or in in the middle of the world. And I could figure out what to do. You know, I successfully got on the bus, got to the pharmacy. You know, there were obviously mistakes and miscommunications, lots of miscommunications, but they were entertaining at the time. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're fun stories now. Like one time I thought, um, I thought the ama de casa was asking me if I wanted some bread with my soup. And I said, of course, yeah. And then she plopped something into my soup right out of the pot. And it's like this gray just matter. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I thought you said bread. Meanwhile, I'm trying to say this all in Spanish. And she, so the, the word for belly or stomach is similar to bread. So she, it was like part of the chicken that she dropped into my bowl. So I was like yeah. expecting bread, um, just stories <laughs> like that, you know. And you were just, having part of the chicken stomach. Yep. And I said, oh, actually, I'm not going to eat that. But my students love to hear things like that. Um, One time I was on the public transportation and some guy said to me a word that I thought meant cow. um, And I thought he was calling me a cow because I was in his way. And I was like, that doesn't sound like something someone would say. It was a packed bus. And I got home and I asked my host mother, why did he say this to me? So the word is, um, the word for cow is vaca, V-A-C-A. And the word for are you getting off is baka, which is B-A-J-A. And they sound very similar to the untrained ear. So she, she was laughing at me because she was like, he was just asking if you're getting off on the next stop. And I was like, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, thank you. So I, yeah, it just, you know, really kind of uncomfortable situations at the time, but funny in retrospect. Well, and I think, you know, for me, that just really highlights how experiential learning, like I get really caught up on, um, you know, we grade things. So kids learn it to get the grade, to get, to take the class. Mm -hmm. And I think about what a life experience, and I I haven't watched the show yet, but there's that one where they're sending like three and four year olds out to do in Japan where they send them out Mm -hmm. on errands. And I, and I think like, I remember being a kid, like 
you know, I was growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, and, like, we would go down to the corner store with, like, 50 cents and get a loaf of bread and whatever our parents mm-hmm. needed, you know, at five, six, seven years old. And we could, whatever change was left, we could buy penny candy or something, you know. And I think, mm-hmm. like, the same experience, like, learning how to interact and learning how, even in your own language. Yeah, right. You know, I don't know that we do that enough. Mm -hmm. Um, with our kids at this point and you know what experiences but your experience there certainly um you know highlights how accomplished you felt at the end of that time right yeah and I, I went back you know to the states thinking okay if I was able to do that then I could do anything in my own language right so yeah I came back with confidence in not only my second language but in my first culture and language so when did you tip over to teaching um, so I actually, actually, after that experience, um, okay. I came back and I was graduating the next year with anthro in Spanish and then graduated, wasn't sure what I was doing quite yet. And then I just ended up going right back into teaching, um, for, to get my degree in that. And obviously so many of my credits carried over, you know, very easily. So I was just left with doing, you know, all the practicum things and student yeah. teaching and. Yeah, so it was actually shortly before, maybe just like two or three years later that I started back up and, you know, figured, yeah, I think I really want to do this. It, it was mainly that trip that made me come back and feel like really confident in speaking and yeah. being able to stand in front of a group of, you know, students and sharing, you know, sharing the knowledge. And with the anthropology, I also wanted to get into the classroom and share that that side of things with them too, because right. just to experience, have them experience or open their eyes to what's going on around the world, you know, outside of their town. Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, so, so that's really, I mean, obviously um, your teaching is authentic based on your own experiences. What are some of the fun things that you do with those authentic resources that the kids really love? Um, I, Well, so I like to, you know, I try to make it as realistic as possible. So like you were saying, you know, we grade papers, we grade tests and quizzes, but, you know, every time I'm doing that, I'm always like, this is good. You know, I do want to know that they know this vocab and everything, but I do want to give them the experience kind of like that I had when I was just thrown into things. So I thought, I feel like the best way to do that is to access anything authentic online that we can use. Um, you know, when you are maneuvering through a new city in another language, then you are responsible for figuring things out on your own. And you've got to maneuver with like finding hotels, finding, you know, if you want to go to a concert, go to a show, you've got to look things up and learn about currency conversion and finding directions. And, you know, you really rely on finding information. So nowadays it's like, you can go on and Google everything, which is great. So I wanted to make that kind of like their experience in the classroom, even though I can't take them all with me every week to a different Spanish speaking country, we can still act like we are. So, and, you know, you can find so many websites that lend themselves well to whatever it is that you're teaching for every unit. So I will bring things like, um, obviously restaurant websites, I'll find restaurants in whatever city and country, you know, and make sure that I, you know, obviously I look over these sites and I make sure that there are lots of cognates they can work with. I make sure that it's set up pretty well, you know, pretty straightforward so they can find the menu easily or, you know, some obvious drop down menus. Um, I have them search for words they know. I have them search for 
words maybe they don't know, but they could probably figure out based on context or imagery or whether it's a cognate or not. And they have a good time with this. And then I take it a step further and I say, you know, what would you like to buy on this site? Or what would you like to have at this restaurant? They tell me, you know, um, and then we, we go into the currency conversion. I could ask how much does it cost? And we can work on that. And, you know, it's, it's easily modified. So if I'm teaching a lower level, you know, I can give them the instructions in English. They can just kind of search through like a scavenger hunt. I could say, find this type of word, find this, you know, list five words, you know, find words you don't know, but you can figure them out. And if it's um, a more advanced course, I can just share the screen with them. We can look at it together and I can just ask them in Spanish, you know, to find this, find this, what would you like, how much does it cost, et cetera. So there's lots of ways to modify the same, you know, assignment or activity for all different levels and abilities. Yeah. Do they, do the kids like the food? What, what is it that, that they like the best? Is there an activity that they really love? Um, um, they like to, they love looking at food because they like to see things that they can easily recognize. They think it's funny when, um, other countries have menus with, you know, terms that we use in mm-hmm. English. Um, you know, so they might have, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. And now of course I can't, um, they might just use like, for example, like mac and cheese, you know, like some, if we find like, we were looking at an amusement park website and they have mac and cheese and, you know, they just use the English term mac and cheese and other sites, you know, they would obviously use like the Spanish term, but yeah, they like, they like when they see things like that, they think it's funny. Um, and of course, you know, they love when they're able to understand a lot more than they expect they will. Cause you know, sometimes they get nervous when they're looking through a completely Spanish uh, website and then they slowly realize oh I know that word I know that word so it's nice it gives them a little confidence boost and it's you know kids love looking up things online anyway nowadays so they feel right. completely comfortable doing that it's just you know they got to get past the 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 you know scary stage of looking at it all in Spanish yeah, yeah. you talked about um a bullfight too I noticed in your notes oh yeah some of the um oh yeah a lot of the students love virtual tours. So I found this really cool site. Well, it's just the Casa Azul, the Museum of Frida Kahlo, first of all, in Mexico. And they offer a really amazing virtual tour that you can just click through and you can search all through her home. It was her home that she grew up in and it's now her museum. It's really colorful and the kids just really love that. They love looking through her stuff because she had a really interesting, um, sad life and they love looking through her bedroom, her art room. And that's just so cool. Um, so that's honestly, like, like I always say, I wish I could take them with me, but these are experiences as close to, you know, real as you can get. And the other one that you mentioned was, yeah, the bullfighting arena. I've used the one, the, um, a really popular one in Madrid, and you can also do a virtual tour there. So you can click through the arena, you can go down on towards the sand and you can look at the kind of like behind the scenes, like outside the rotunda behind where the um, stadium is, like where the audience would sit. And it's funny because it looks just like if you were to go to maybe like a football game or something here, when you go out behind the stands and you have the concessions. And so they have the same thing there. And the kids thought that was cool because at a glance, the building is like, it looks very, you know, European or even like, um, like a like Muslim. Yeah. It looks like has like Muslim influence, but on the inside you have these, um, kind of like, uh, what are they called? Keg 
like uh, handles, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's funny because it's like a juxtaposition of like modern and old because you wouldn't expect that when you walked in there. But yes, there's there's that same rotunda area where people can go get snacks and food, you know, at their type of intermission or halftime or whatever. Right, right, right. So yeah, it's they like they like to see that a lot because again, they you know they don't even know what they don't like if if you ask some they don't even know what they would picture when they hear of you know the capital of Spain or, you know, this place in South America. So right. it's pretty right. cool that they can see that. And they can also see that there are lots of places, you know, that are modernized and even more modernized than where we live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so. pretty, you know what it is. It's so interesting. I'm so glad that you wanted to do this, Gwen. And just kind of, I mean, obviously, you know, there's so many things that you can get out there on the web. And mm-hmm. we had one of our most recent podcasts was um, about, googling you know like and using translators and stuff like that and like this is the flip side of you know when you get on the internet and when you you know like you said you still have to vet things you still have to right um, sort them out but um but this is so interesting and there's there's i mean such a wealth of information and we'll certainly populate some of these you know on our podcast notes so people can um, check out some of the different places that you use. And I know you have right. some QR codes and other things that we can share with folks because mm-hmm. this is just, I mean, I love this. Cause I mean, it leads for me in my head, it leads from one thing to the other. Like these are the activities that make kids interested in other cultures and get them really right. thinking about that. There's more than one way to do mm-hmm. life. There's yeah. other versions of entertainment, um, other than what we know and see. And, right. uh, you know, so it just makes the world a little bit bigger of a place, you know, and mm-hmm. I love that we are able to do that. And, you know, I know you live in Johnstown, you know, the center of Pennsylvania, and sometimes kids don't get to see or experience. Um, right. So I'm super excited because that's what we say. We do this every day. And I mean, our, our real goal at the World of Learning is to provide these experiences for kids who may not otherwise see or even know that there's, you know, different mm-hmm. people or cultures out there. So I think it's important that they see that it can be very different, you know, in another particular area and at the same time, very similar. So there are always like similarities and differences, which it's good to see both of that, you know, because they can maybe relate to people in other places, but at the same time, appreciate that, okay, this is different, but that's for them. That is their quote unquote normal. So, and that's not our normal. And sometimes students even come to the realization of like, why do we do it like that then? You know, like, and I think that's really cool when they think about it like that. So they're not so, you know, stuck in like this ethnocentric way of thinking. Right. And I think that's just so, but you know, it's just, so important so important and oh my gosh you've left us with so much information today like you have all these websites and i know that as people are listening they're going to want to dig in to a lot of these websites and some of the qr codes and and other things and they can always reach out to us um because we do do this every day and you can contact myself and i know gwen is super collaborative so if you want it um i can get you oh, yeah gwen. i can share assignments or activities that i've made that students have loved and you know it kind of takes you through step by step so it's like you know you can just kind of like insert it right into most units and they'll be good to go because i normally put these together with the student who least likes the spanish class i normally put it together with them in mind right and so then 
everyone else, you know, can just kind of fly through it as quickly as they need to, or they can, you know, skip the instructions if they don't feel like they need to read through everything. So I normally make it pretty, you know, like you can't really go wrong step-by-step instructions. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Gwen, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, You're welcome. I love hearing about, you know, the cultural anthropology piece. I think it offers so much um, Mm -hmm. depth to what you do in addition to teaching Spanish because you're adding that cultural component. So um, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day and yeah, joining sure. us. And we'll look forward to um, maybe having another conversation as uh, as time goes on next school year, we'll check back in. But thanks for yes, joining us today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right.